Sony. Hello, Canada. Today's date is October 11th, 2022. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense, Canada's Issues in Under an Hour. It is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. Before we get started, I want to apologize to our listeners for not having our regular show on Sunday, but I slept in. I wasn't. I wasn't going to say anything, but <laughs> and uh, and then yesterday the day just kind of got away. There was no way that we could do a show, so we're doing it today. Yep, we're still here for you. Apologies that we're a couple of days late, but we've got a lot for you today. So, on the show today, Chinese police stations in Canada. A couple of elections are now over with. WTF. Hockey Canada, Digital ID, and more. Where do you want to start, sir? Well, let's uh, let's just start at the top. All right. I never thought I would see the day that we would have People's Republic of China police stations in Canada, but here we are. So it was. Uh, this was a story I actually stumbled upon a couple of weeks ago. And we just weren't able to fit it into our, our last two shows. So, uh, but I wanted to hold on to it because I wanted to get your take on some of this stuff, Lewis. Now, I think having a foreign government's police station in any country is a little bizarre. But the People's Republic of China having their own police stations in Canada really, really makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, I believe they have three. Yeah, there's three in the GTA that we know of. And yeah. now what the spin that the Chinese government has said is that, well, they're only there to help Chinese citizens abroad with governmental bureaucratic sort of tasks, driver's licenses, passports, etc. Oh, by the way, as an added bonus, uh, foreign Chinese police stations have convinced 230,000 quote-unquote dissidents to return to China in the last year. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I wouldn't put it past. I, I'm, okay. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. <laughs> I can almost guarantee this is part of surveillance too. I would agree with you wholeheartedly. Yeah. I mean, and this is something that I've heard, uh, uh, former FBI agent, um, or sorry, CIA agent, Mike Baker talk about, um, Oh, he said that, you know, what the what the Chinese government does is they put pressure on Chinese, uh, you know, descendants. So, like, people who are born in the U.S. or in Canada, um, but they put pressure on them to start giving the Chinese government information or else the family that they have back in China is going to pay for it. Yeah, I've heard that too. Yeah, that's how they get those quote-unquote dissidents to go back home. Exactly. And so like this, this is like, well, now we've got someone right in your backyard to make sure you tell us all our information that we're looking for. Yeah, and what worries me, uh, another thing that worries me, I should say, is the Trudeau government, I mean, there's no secret they're very China-friendly. And I remember when the... People's Liberation Army was here in Canada doing uh, winter training exercises along with beside the Canadian forces. And uh, that was a story we broke for you, by the way. And I remember Justin Trudeau, when he was scolding the the leader of the, the mission who had actually canceled it, he got mad and said, we need to treat China as if they are our closest ally. And I was like, wait, what? Yeah, no, that's that's the completely wrong uh, approach to dealing with China. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, because because China is nobody's ally. That's actually a very good way to put it. And if we didn't learn that lesson, well, we we should have learned that lesson decades ago. But even Trudeau himself, when they signed that deal with CanSino for for COVID vaccines, and then China said, "Oh, thanks for the intellectual property," and how about the middle finger to you and we got no vaccines out of the deal you think he might include in that china is not our friend yeah but i what i don't understand is how come 
How, how, how did this even, like, happen? I mean, who approved this? I mean, that would have to be approved by the PMO. I mean, this is... I don't understand how you allow a foreign country to have police stations in your country, especially a communist country, and especially a country that is infamous for espionage and um, and uh, intellectual property theft and all of those things. I mean, and, and a country that is notorious for torturing their own citizens, for killing their own citizens, for, you know, I mean, this is, this is like, it's so bewildering. I, I just, it just, I don't know even, I don't even know what to say anymore. Like this is, this is insanity. It is. And to give you the other side of the story, Canada, the, this is not necessarily unprecedented. After 9-11, uh, the, New York City Police Department, NYPD, did have one officer who was working in Canada for terrorism-related whatnot. I don't know if uh, they still have that one officer here, but I guess when you see the Toronto 18, maybe they you know, needed to have an NYPD officer here. But we knew that about this officer, and this officer went through the diplomatic channels and through probably foreign affairs or whatnot to become certified, and we knew he was a cop, or she. We had no idea about these Chinese police stations, and they are very inconspicuously hiding in plain sight. Well, let's be real, though. I mean, the U.S. is our closest ally, our closest friend, and our largest trading partner. I mean, that's different. I would say that that's different. They're also, they're also a, uh, a democracy. Yeah. <laughs> and... and and like I said, our closest friend. Um, I, 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 and, and it's one officer, right? Exactly. And, and I and I highly doubt that they were, you know, out there enforcing American laws in Canada. And I bet you, I can guarantee you that the that these Chinese police stations that the officers uh, who work there are enforcing Chinese law. Yeah, you said nothing I disagree with. I think they are, probably are enforcing Chinese law on, on Chinese Canadians or Chinese expats or whatnot. And I don't know how this happened. I mean, obviously, our government had to know this was going on. But how this slipped through and how they're allowed to do this. And I'm sure that Canada is not the only country where they're doing it. I mean, we are the world's doormat, but I'm sure that they've, they've got these similar setups elsewhere. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I'm pretty sure they do. Um, but I mean, like this is, this is something that, that just shouldn't have happened in the first place. And why are, you know, us and like true North, the only ones reporting on it. Um, I mean, you're, you're seeing it in the mainstream media, but just kind of, I I've seen maybe one or two, um, articles about it, but that's it. And I mean, this should be, this should be like, the media should be making, uh, like, like a, a huge deal out of this. Absolutely. They should. And it was part one of the True North articles I saw on it did also mention, this is something we had talked about in the 2021 election. Um, if not, we had brought it up shortly after that there were Chinese advocacy groups, you know, uh, campaigning against conservative party candidates. And I know we brought it up during the election that the Chinese government themselves had told Canada that we had better reelect a liberal government. And the, so the amount of influence China either thinks they have or actually have over this country is very, very alarming. It is. It is, absolutely. So, Anyway, let's move on. We had a couple of elections uh, over the past week to cover. Uh, the first one was the Quebec election, which was October 3rd. I might as well do them in chronological order. Um, well, we called it the day before that Francois Legault would get a majority, but what a majority. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a huge majority. I think they got somewhere in the vicinity of like 75% of the seats. Pretty much, yeah. 90 seats for, for the CAC. It's, uh, I believe it's 125 in their legislature, so it's got to be right around that 75% mark. The official opposition Liberal Party with 21%, uh, 21%, 21 seats, sorry. And the Quebec Solidaire, 11 seats. Parti Québécois, three seats. Uh, wow, how the mighty have fallen. And then the Quebec Conservative Party, the shutout, the big goose egg. Yeah, but there's an interesting number there that, that the seats don't tell, and that's the percentage of the vote that the Conservative Party got. Yeah, it's really amazing that the uh, CAC with 41% of the vote, uh, you know, took home 75% of the seats. And the Liberal Party, who actually would have placed fourth in the popular vote, is our official opposition in Quebec. They got 14.37% of the popular vote. Uh, Quebec Solidaire actually was second place in popular vote with 15.4%. And the PQ with 14.6%, still more than the Liberals, but yet only three seats. So it uh, really shows where the, where that uh, you know, the concentration of the votes was. Yeah. yeah. Now, now the Liberal Party, uh, apparently most of their, their, their support was in the West Island of Montreal. So they obviously must really have campaigned hard in one area and stuck with it. Whereas like the PQ, for example, their vote had to have been scattered across the province. Yeah, and I mean, and that's that's something that the federal conservatives have a problem with too, right? Like they they'll win, you know, with eighty, sometimes ninety percent of the vote in some ridings in the prairies, but that only translates to one seat, right? And per riding, it, it doesn't it doesn't translate into more seats. I mean, and we saw that with the fact that they had you know, a higher percentage of the vote than the federal liberals. And they still, they, they still lost the election. And that's, and that's what happened here in the Quebec election. Um, I mean, not, not the same situation because the CAC did get the highest percentage of, of the votes, but, uh, but they must've got most of their support in just those few ridings. Yeah, no, you're right. That's a, uh... Very good, good comparison. Now, I never really heard much about the Quebec Solidaire. I knew that they were uh, a separatist party. I knew they were kind of left wing, but I laughed out loud when I was reading the CBC coverage of this and they referred to, I think it was CBC anyway, one of the mainstream outlets, referred to Quebec Solidaire as a far left party. And I thought, okay, for our mainstream media in Canada to refer to any party as far left, Boy, now that is saying something. Yeah, they must be like outright communists. Yeah, <laughs> that was what I thought too. Yeah, I thought, man, these guys must uh, must have Mussolini as their uh, their mascot or something. So... Wow, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so let's move west to Alberta, where, well, probably has nothing to do with with my strong endorsement, but Danielle Smith is uh, actually today sworn in as the new premier of Alberta. Yeah, congratulations. That's, uh, you know, I mean, she was she was on our show earlier this year where you had a really good interview with her. Um, I, uh, like I said before, I like her. I like her policies. I don't know, you know, how successful some of those policies will be, but, um, but I do like her and her policies. I just... I'm just waiting to see whether or not she gets the respect of the caucus. Uh, and it all comes down to what she, what happened. Yes, she's, you know, claimed responsibility and said it was a mistake and, and everything of crossing the floor while she was the leader of the official opposition. But, uh, but this is hopefully a new start for her um i i wish her all the luck i hope that she is successful in this and i hope she she does a good job um and i and like i said i really hope that the mlas and her party uh give her the respect and the support that she needs i agree now it was uh glad you actually brought that up because brian jean and Rebecca Schultz and others all came to congratulate Danielle Smith after the 
the, the final ballot win, Travis Taves, who placed second, stomped out of the building and didn't even say boo to Danielle Smith. So there might be some work to do to, to put things together, or maybe he was just ticked off because he didn't win and was going to go home and pout. Yeah, well, I mean, grow up. Exactly. Uh, but at the same time, if he's that mad, then maybe he should leave the party altogether. Maybe he should just leave public life because uh, losing is part of part and parcel of what you, you know, of what you're doing there. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's just, uh, yeah. I mean, if you're that upset that someone beat you, that you can't even congratulate them, then you know what that tells me? tells me it's a good thing you didn't win good point yep absolutely right no i know she's going to be running uh, the danielle smith that is in uh brooks medicine hat the mla for that riding actually have not planned on running again in may in the next provincial election in alberta so she offered to step down early so that danielle smith could run for a seat in the legislature and that's common convention there's nothing nothing really earth-shattering about that what made me laugh out loud again at CBC was the power panel. And I think I texted you about this is their power panel was talking about, Oh, you know, Danielle Smith has, has won, but now she's going to have to pivot and she's going to have to be more conciliatory and, you know, work with Justin Trudeau. (laughs) And I just thought you guys do not understand Alberta politics at all. No, they don't understand conservatives. Maybe that's it. Because they say the same thing about every new leader of the Conservative Party. And even after two elections in a row where the leader did exactly what they said they should do and lost because of it, they said the same thing about Pierre Polyev. That's true, yep. And I'm glad that he's not. And I hope... And I mean, Danielle Smith immediately came out and said that she's that she's going to continue with Jason Kenney's policy of not enforcing the uh, order and council gun uh, confiscation program. Yeah, in fact, she came out quite strong on, uh, it was power and politics with David Cochran, who was filling in, and he pressed her on that. He pressed her on the, uh, the Alberta Sovereignty Act, and she stood her ground, and she just said simply that, you know, we are, we are going to seek the same status that Quebec has, and we are tired of being disrespected, et cetera. And she wasn't backing down, even though he was saying that, well, in Quebec, it was really just a motion asking Ottawa, you know, not to have us enforce the Emergencies Act or words to that effect. And she just said, well, and we are simply going to say that, you know, no, if you're stepping on our jurisdiction, you you won't be anymore. And she stuck to her guns when she said it's time to reform the healthcare system. And I'm really impressed. Uh, I don't know if you heard her acceptance speech or not, but she was on fire. I mean, she hit all the the points she had hit in her campaign, and she sounds like she's going full steam ahead once she gets in the legislature. Good. I mean, the thing is, is that she's right. I mean, every and every province should be demanding the same... Uh, the same level of independence that Quebec has. Yes. Because Quebec, Quebec, what Quebec has done is not unconstitutional. Uh, like people, people give, you know, Quebec crap for, you know, thinking they're special or something. Right. But, but guess what? Every province has the right to do that. Yep. Section 92. I, I don't know how many times I beat that. Not so dead horse, but, that's the section of the Constitution that, that outlines provincial responsibilities. And Quebec has looked at it and said, yep, that's for us. And you're right. We all can do this. But yet, I, I think the federal government has, has, you know, bought off so many provinces and bullied their way into provincial jurisdiction with federal money that provinces have just kind of said, well, what are you going to do? Yeah, but... But the but every province should be pushing for the same level of independence that Quebec has. I mean, it's they should have more control. And I can't believe that provincial politicians are not, you know, hungry for that control that they should have, uh, or jurisdiction, I should say. Um, 
because it is their jurisdiction. But what the federal government has done is they've said, you know, like, we'll give you this money if you follow these rules. But if you don't follow these rules, which you don't have to constitutionally, we're just not going to give you the money. Yeah, you're right. That That's actually exactly how it goes. I mean, that's... And health care is the perfect example of that. It is, and what, what really burns me about the health care is that the federal government, and when, when health care, you know, became a thing, uh, you know, publicly funded health care, the agreement was the government, the federal government would kick in 50% of the funding. Well, that number is now, well, recently increased to 28%. And I just think if you're only paying one quarter of the freight, you should have absolutely zero say in how it goes. And I am, I mean, I said this before, decades ago that you know what maybe they should just keep their 28 cents on the dollar and we'll do things our way but nobody has the cojones to stand up and say that yeah well and i mean they really need to because the healthcare system across this country is falling apart and fast and we need some innovation and the only people who can do that innovation who can come up with new ways of delivering healthcare, are the provinces Yep, that's right, and uh, that's that's another thing Danielle Smith touched on, and she had said how, you know, the healthcare COVID did not break the healthcare system. COVID only showed us that our healthcare system is broken, and and she said, yeah, we are going to seek alternatives, and she actually used the words private sector. So uh, I'm sure CBC is going to be all over her now. <laughs> yeah, most likely. Yep. So, uh, so best of luck, Danielle Smith. Um, I did reach out to her for, uh, for, for an interview. I can't imagine she's going to accept now that she is premier of Alberta and we are just a humble podcast with hundreds of listeners, but I'll keep trying. Yeah. Well, I mean, she came on here earlier this year, so hopefully, you know, she, she, uh, hopefully she, she says, you know, I had a good time last time, so I'm going to come back. Well, I hope so too. Yeah. And it's, uh, Six months plus one day after our interview with her that she uh, won that leadership vote. So it's uh, quite a ride for her. Yeah. So All right. So let's talk about, well, speaking of quite a ride, Hockey Canada. What the actual hell? Yeah, this is a bit of a shit show, eh? Jeez. Uh, so for some reason, uh, was it Scott Smith, I think, is the, the CEO? Seems to yeah. think he's entitled to his job. Now, Andrea Skinner had said on Friday, I believe it was, how, why, you're, you're, you're really picking on Hockey Canada. I mean, this toxic culture exists in corporate Canada and government everywhere. So why are you targeting us? And I thought, what the hell are you saying? <laughs> yeah. So uh, she stepped down on Saturday, probably because yes. she realized she's a moron. So. Yep. <laughs> like, yeah you you made the first right decision you made <laughs> I, I quit yep good job yeah so uh yeah now i mean uh this organization needs to be blown apart they've lost pretty much all their corporate sponsors tim hortons has pulled out telus canadian tire scotia bank has pulled out nike has pulled out like i don't know that they really have any corporate sponsors left yeah, I don't know what you do. Um, I mean, you can't really fold it. I mean, it's the governing body for all amateur hockey in the country. Uh, but it's got to be blown apart and rebuilt, at least. Yeah, I, mean, I don't. Obviously, government doesn't have the power to remove the board of Hockey Canada because it's a separate governing body. That's you know obviously not part of our government. But like, I don't know if, if Scott Smith is just, and the, and the rest of the board for that matter, are just hunkering down thinking that, hey, if we just keep our heads down, this is all going to blow over and people will forget about the millions of dollars that we've set aside to pay out sexual harassment and assault claims over the years. Like, I don't, I can't get inside their heads. Yeah, I I don't know, man. I mean, this this situation is such... A mess. Um, I don't even know. I don't even know what to say about it. Quite honestly, I mean, it's 
it's it's a situation that is so disastrous and so big that uh, it's going to take a lot, a lot of rebuilding to uh, regain people's trust and and uh, and 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 those cor- and those corporate sponsors. I mean, which are which are extremely important to the to the survival of hockey in Canada. Yeah, and the Hockey Quebec, the provincial organization, is, has uh, pulled its uh, the money that it would normally send off to Hockey Canada is withholding that now. And I know that uh, New Brunswick was quote weighing their options, and I know there's other provinces that have dis- have you know, decided to withhold their share of funding as well. I just can't remember off the top of my head which ones, which other ones have joined in, but. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know their end game. I mean, uh, speaking of stupid things Andrea Skinner had said, she also said that, oh, without Hockey Canada, the lights won't, won't go on in any arena. And I thought, okay, if you guys really think you're that important, well, we need to have some change right there. Well, yeah, I mean, like, let's be real. I mean, <laughs> most arenas in this country are owned and operated by municipalities. Um, and uh, and there are local hockey teams that are part of local, you know, part of uh, uh, hockey leagues that are part of, you know, the larger provincial hockey um, organizations. So, you know, Hockey Canada has an important role to play, but keeping the lights on in arenas, uh, that's not one of them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then uh, I'd heard the story that the last time the, the World Canada won the World Juniors that the board of directors from Hockey Canada also made championship rings for themselves, at $3,000 a pop. And I oh. thought, there is some serious entitlement issues going on. That's uh, that's a little bit of self-importance, hey? No kidding, yeah. Hey, we won. Well, yes, as a country we did, but you guys didn't do anything. They, they had as much to do with winning as I did. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they didn't coach. They didn't play they didn't you know they, they didn't do anything they're just you know they're 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 part of the board of directors like come on this is wow they actually had rings made oh my god yep <laughs> yeah oh, uh, well talk about stolen valor Good way to put it. Yeah. I mean they yeah. didn't sharpen a single skate, but yet they uh they got the bling. Yeah. Probably show it off every chance they got too. Oh probably, yeah. So Oh wow, what 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 was your role? Uh I didn't have one. <laughs> yeah, so I uh I we're gonna be talking about this more as the weeks go on, Canada, because this is this cannot possibly end well at this point no so uh no and it just seems to be getting worse (laughs) yeah well because why are they digging in their heels i mean if they just come out and said okay yeah you know what we're gonna have to shake up the leadership team and maybe move some positions around and get rid of the 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 one at the top maybe canadians might have said okay well at least they're doing something but now canadians are saying what the hell's wrong with you guys So, uh, speaking of what the hell is wrong, I got a letter from Leslyn Lewis, because I'm still on her email list, so it's not that I got it individually, um, that, well, she was vindicated. During the uh, Conservative Party of Canada leadership, she was the only one who had who had referred to the WEF, the World Economic Forum, and she was the only one that had talked about digital ID, and turns out the two are related. Uh, she had, I can't remember what exactly it's called, but she did an inquiry to the ministry. And so they actually had to respond to her. So she got in writing that the government of Canada actually paid the World Economic Forum 
$105.3 million in a contract with the WDEF to introduce a digital ID for travelers to Canada. Yeah. This is called the known in the known traveler digital ID, the KTDI. Yeah, I. Uh, this is this is nothing more than tracking. I mean, they they have this. I, they can do enough tracking with passports. What what do they need this for? I mean, this is. I mean, who knows what's going to be attached to this. And that's right? the problem. Right? I mean, this is something that, I mean, here, here's something interesting. Bill Gates contributed $200 million to these known traveler digital ID uh, to the program. He contributed double what the Canadian government contributed. By himself. Oh, I mean, Bill Gates, governor of... No, no, wait, wait. uh, Bill Gates, president of... No, no. um, Bill Gates, mayor of... No. um, Bill Gates, private citizen? Yeah. Like, what? Why? What is so important about these digital IDs that... That Bill Gates has contributed two hundred million dollars to it. That seems really weird. Uh, yeah, I, I cannot imagine why Bill Gates would be putting money into that. Honestly, that I, that one puzzles me. I understand governments because they want to be able to track people. Yeah, but a private citizen. Well, I don't understand. Like, that should be ringing alarm bells with everybody. Yeah, well, he had a lot to say in in the vaccine debates as well, and I thought not much of it because I thought, yeah, he has a high profile and maybe he believes he's helping, but what the hell? Well, he put microchips in the vaccines. (laughs) Allegedly. (laughs) I'm joking. I'm joking. (laughs) Yes, that was... But it really makes you wonder why he is so invested, quite literally, in this digital ID program. Yeah, I, I got nothing on that. I I really can't understand why he, uh, why yeah, why he's in it at all. Like uh, you're right as far as why would governments get involved? Yeah, because they want to track citizens even further. And with a digital ID, they will be able to track not only our movements, but they'll be able to track what we spend, where we spend it. So, uh, yeah, I get all that. I don't agree with it, but I, I get it. Yeah, I understand it. It's totally and completely wrong, but I get it. I understand it. But why a, di- a private citizen wants that much to do with it Unless he's going to be providing the software or hardware or whatever for it, I don't know. That's a there. There's an angle. I, yeah, yeah, man. I, I mean, you know, the people like him don't do things without some kind of return. No, that's right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that that's an angle I hadn't thought of. You're right. Maybe he is providing some of the the hardware, or the software. Uh. Okay. We've, so we've got the big topics. Let's get into the and more section of the show. Unparliamentary language. Now, we've all heard, uh, well, going back even as far back as Justin Trudeau's father, Fidel Castro. I'm sorry, I mean Pierre Trudeau. When he told somebody off in Parliament and then uh, said, no, no, I said fuddle-duddle. And to, well, the son Justin Pierre Trudeau, who called somebody a piece of bleep in in the House of Commons. I believe he was, he was in opposition at that time, right? He was, yeah. Okay. So now Michelle Rempel-Garner got herself in a little bit of hot water for saying it was time to stop this woke bleep. And the whole Conservative Party of Canada caucus got themselves in trouble because they dared to say just inflation. What's wrong with that, Lewis? 
Yeah, I mean, um, Michelle Rempel Garner. I mean, her thing was, I mean, she caught herself right away, apologized. Everybody laughed, even the speaker, you know, laughed about it uh, because it was obviously unintentional, <laughs> and so she didn't. There wasn't really any controversy over that. It was just news because it was funny. Um, yeah. Whereas with uh, just inflation, I mean, let's let's be honest here. Just inflation is, you know, it's fine. You know, it's kind of funny to be using it and uh, outside of the House of Commons. Inside the House of Commons... It's kind of, I mean, it's 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 a little immature all around, but to use it in a in a in an official setting like the House of Commons, it's a little immature. Um, but the fact that they're banning it from being used is even more immature. Well, and the reason that they're banning it is because apparently. It is a rule in Parliament that you do not use an MP's first name uh, uh, in the House of Commons. So, I mean, you can't really say it's the honourable member for Papineauflation. So, uh, yeah, it was a great little catchphrase. I can't really say honourable member anyway. <laughs> yes, that is so true. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so now the way the Conservatives have decided to get around it is they just pause. Instead of saying just inflation, now they'll say it's just inflation. So at least we still get the the trending hashtag, but they don't actually say the honorable member for Papineau's first name. Yeah. Uh, silly. It's silly. It is very, very silly. Now... Uh. um Speaking of silly, uh, maybe you don't think this is, but uh, how do you like the name BC United? Uh, to me, it sounds like a soccer team, but that's actually the name yeah. that has been proposed to uh, replace the name of the BC Liberal Party. Yeah, which, I mean, anything is better than BC Liberal Party. Uh, so BC United Party... Make, it actually is more descriptive of what it really is, which is the Liberal Conservative United Party. So, but yeah, it does kind of sound like a a European soccer team. <laughs> yeah. Now I agree with you on that. I agree with you that it is more reflective of what the party actually is. But I just think they could do better. Yeah. Well, I mean, they could do better by you know. Not being part of a party with liberals. <laughs> well, okay, you got me there. <laughs> <laughs> I just, it's so, uh, BC is such a disaster when it comes to politics. It's just, especially provincial politics. I mean, we've got, it's really a two party system here. Um, just as it kind of is in most places in this country, but we're we're stuck with BC Liberals and the NDP, and it's I don't know I I really wish we had a conservative party here, like a true conservative party. I mean, we do, but it's they're a non-player. They're uh, you know they're that character in the video game that never talks <laughs> or they're the you know the red shirt in uh, Star Trek oh the, the the expendable crew member yeah where they get killed every time they go on an away mission yeah <laughs> yeah it's that's kind of what the BC Conservative Party's like here nobody knows they exist even though they do like it's it, it, it's an extremely disorganized party it's never never been well organized it's They've never had a good candidate. It's uh, they're they're really a non a non player in in BC politics. So, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like I said, it's kind of a it's kind of a dumb name, but 
it's more descriptive of what it really is and it's uh you know it's better than bc liberals well and it's better than bc maverick party <laughs> yeah. yeah the maverick party oh god it's still the worst name of any political party yep so yeah. uh Okay, we've got a few minutes left. Let's wrap the show up with Bill C-18. Now, for those of you who are saying, what the hell is Bill C-18? That is a proposed um, media bailout, but not with taxpayer dollars. This is the bill that discusses charging the, the tech companies, the social media companies who promote media articles or media sites, and the, the charges to these social media companies and tech giants would then be returned to media companies. So it's a bailout, but not a taxpayer bailout. Am I explaining yeah. that right? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I think the word bailout is is misused, but um, I, I'm i not opposed to this. I, I actually, I agree with it. I think that, you know, if you're making money off someone else's content, you des they deserve to be compensated for it. I agree with you that far that, uh, yeah, by all means, if, okay, let's, let's say Facebook as an example, and they're promoting the Globe and Mail page, for example, that, yeah, if the Globe and Mail is sharing stories on Facebook and Facebook's making money off it, the Globe should get a cut. And I think that's essentially what this is doing, correct? Yes, yes, it's exactly what it's doing. Okay, now... The other side of that argument, to me, if I'm Facebook and I say, okay, if I've got to pay the Globe and Mail, um, maybe the Globe and Mail should be paying me to to share their stuff. And I don't think that exchange is going on. No, and I, I mean, that's that's just a purely business decision. I mean, if Facebook wants to make it so that, uh, you know, corporate corporate customers have to pay for their for, to be on Facebook they could do that yeah. um, I don't I don't think there's anything stopping them from doing that but I mean if Facebook is making you know a million dollars a year off of the National Post then the National Post should be getting a cut of that I mean it's their content um, the the uh, the thing same thing with YouTube it's like YouTube can demonetize a video right because it says something uh that youtube doesn't approve of like you know biden is senile, senile or something and they youtube goes whoa that we don't like that so we're going to demonetize your video but they still make money off it YouTube still makes money off it when they demonetize a video because the ads stay there, but all the ad revenue goes to YouTube now. None of it goes to the to the uh, content creator. Okay. And so this is protecting that content creator. They they get you know, I mean they they get paid for their content. Okay, so you're starting to convince me here. So now let's say if with Bill C-18 that now YouTube would hypothetically not be allowed to demonetize that video because, hey, you're right, the, the content creator still needs to get paid. So well, I think what it is is, like, if they demonetize it, then they're not allowed to make money from it either. Oh, okay. And so it's it's one of those things where if the, if the median... Right, the medium, which is uh, you know YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. If the medium is making money from a post, the content creator gets paid, and I am not opposed to that. Yeah, I'm not okay. I think you're getting me. I'm not opposed to that end of it either. I think what I'm wondering is that the other end, if maybe now the Facebooks, Twitters, YouTubes of the world will now decide that okay, if you want to start sharing your content here, then we are going to charge you X percentage for putting that content on in order to kind of essentially recoup some of the money they're paying back. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I wouldn't be opposed to that either. No, actually, I wouldn't uh, either. But there are other countries that have already done this, and I don't think that, the con that, that Facebook, Twitter, YouTube... 
I don't think any of them have actually done that. Okay, yeah, because I think Australia has done that, correct? Yes, okay. and I think there's some others too, but none of them have ever, and not, none of the, the big tech giants have ever retaliated by making their content creators pay a fee. So, okay. uh, so I, I think that this is, you know, I, 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 it, to me it's the right thing to do. I mean, it's, I, I, I think... There should be a bill saying that if they're making money off of selling my information, I should be compensated. Yeah, actually, I, there you go. Now you've now you've got me on side. Now that, because that. because Google, Apple, uh, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Samsung, they all do it. They they collect data on us and they sell that information. And we don't get compensated for it. And it's our data. Absolutely right. There you go. Now you got me on side. See, it only took six minutes to get me, uh, get me on yeah. your side. And, and you cannot use their products unless you agree to let them sell your data. And you don't get paid for it. So, yeah, you're kind of over a barrel on this one because you won't be in the 21st century <laughs> if you don't use their products. Well, that, that's absolutely true. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, there we go. Uh, now, before we go, I just want to recommend a podcast for everyone to listen to. That is not ours. Uh, it's a one I shared with you today. And thank you for that, by the way. Yeah. Uh, former presidential candidate for the Democrat Democratic Party in the U.S., Tulsi Gabbard, uh, released her first episode of her podcast today explaining why she is leaving the Democratic Party. And everything that she discusses applies to Canada as well. Yeah, no, I've always liked Tulsi Gabbard, and... Uh, oh, yeah, I've always said, if I lived in the States, I'm voting for her. And I don't care if she's a libertarian, a conservative, or like a Republican, or a Democrat. I'm voting for her. And I I like her that much. She's she's intelligent, she's, you know, she, she's great. And I highly recommend you listen to this podcast. I'll second that. Yeah, well, you sent that to me today, and... Uh, I loved how you texted me the link and then just said, you have to listen to this. And yes, um, I'll repeat that. You, Canada, have to listen to this. It was, uh, it was really good. So if you have any interest in U.S. politics whatsoever, yeah, check out the Tulsi, Tulsi Gabbard podcast. Thank you for yeah. uh, bringing that up. And you don't even have to be interested in American politics because it applies to Canada as well. Like Because what's happening in the U.S. is also happening here and with with the Liberal Party and the NDP. As to as what's happening with the Democrat Party in the U.S., like this, it's very applicable to what's happening here in Canada too. So I highly recommend you listen to it. It's called "This Is Tulsi Gabbard." Uh, you can find it on Spotify or any of the other uh, podcast carriers. Um, the and the other thing is, is uh, she the episode that she just did with Joe Rogan has been released today as well on the Joe on JRE. Joe Rogan experience, uh, where she talks to him for like three hours about it. So it's, it's, uh, I highly recommend that too. I'm about an hour into it so far and it's really good. Oh, well, that gives me something to do tomorrow morning. So, uh, yeah. so yep, Canada, check that out if, uh, if you would. That's, uh, yeah, I was really impressed. The first, her first show was about half an hour and, it was fantastic, packed full of information. And you're right, Lewis. I mean, the Liberal NDP coalition in Canada, you know, is doing much the same of what she was talking about with the Democrats. So, yeah. Oh, and one more thing. Uh, I almost forgot. So, there is a rumor now. I don't know if it's a rumor or actual uh, report on that teacher in Oakville, Ontario. With the enormously fake breasts that uh, they got in trouble for, that he's been, you know, getting in trouble for, but the school and the school district have been backing this male teacher wearing humongous prosthetic breasts, 
got some news on this. It appears as though he's a conservative who is making a point. Well. And we called it. We said we were hoping that this was what this was. Because he is proving a point, a big time point. Yeah, he sure is. And actually, our, our listener, Mackenzie, had sent us a message about that, who offered another alternative, saying that, you know, perhaps this guy was proving a point and hoping that he would get fired over this, sue and get a nice big fat payout and live a good life. And I thought, that is another angle. Yeah, but apparently it, he's he's being a troll. He's trolling the school district and the school and winning here in my book. If that if it, if the what I'm hearing is true, he is conservative and he's doing this to make a point that we have gone off the rails in this country. Well, good, and we did call that. So uh, I would appreciate the validation if you, if that is indeed the case. So. And, right. if that is the, and if that is the case, I want him on our show. <laughs> yep, absolutely right. Hey, that's a good idea, actually. So, yeah, yeah. So uh, we'll leave it there, Canada. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Again, apologies we were a couple of days later, but uh, is what it is. Here we are. So uh, until next week, it is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Louis out here in BC. Good night. Good night, Canada. and Tony.